Well, friends, if you've been joining us for our Advent series, you know that we're focusing on the topic of believing the impossible. Last week, Pastor Dan talked about uh, unbelievable or impossible knowledge. How is it that we can come to know the unseen God, the God who has revealed himself in Scripture, but then further revealed himself through Jesus Christ as he came and dwelt among us? Today's topic is to believe in impossible justice, the kind of justice we all long for, the kind of justice the Scripture talks about actually happening here on earth. Well, friends, what is this kind of justice all about? I'll kind of make it simple. We can all think for a moment about how mad we get when someone treats us unfairly, when someone cheats us out of something, an opportunity or job or something else, or actually cheats on us. Every one of us could tell stories of injustice in our workplace, probably, in our, our, our communities, in our different settings, and even maybe in our family settings. And each of those cries foul. We say, no, that shouldn't be. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. You're breaking the rules somehow. That's not fair. Because deep down inside, we have this innate sense that there is a sense of right and wrong. We have a sense of what is just and what is unjust, at least from the lens at which we're looking at things. We hate it when people treat us unfairly. It could be as simple as someone stealing a parking place from you. You're waiting there for five minutes at the Costco parking lot over here or some other crowded parking lot with your directional signal on, patiently waiting, and just as the person finally gets done doing their texting and everything else and backs out of the place, someone else comes from the other direction and zips in, right? You know how that feels. That could be just something says, no, you want to just go to that person and say something. Or it could be something more significant as someone like your spouse cheating on you. There's a wide range of injustice that we can experience. It raises that ire. Our first response might be a way to figure out how we can get revenge on that person, but that's not God's way. In fact, he teaches us to overcome evil by actually doing good. But we have to understand this. God created us in his image and in his likeness. God gets upset about injustice. God is angered by it, and he wired us with that healthy anger response. When we see something that's wrong, to say, that shouldn't happen that way. We've got to do something about that. Don't ever try to unwire that part of yourself that God made in his own image for you to have that same understanding. But what we want to explore together today is how we turn that kind of righteous anger into constructive action, and thus truly fulfilling God's desire. What concerns me, though, friends, is sometimes our healthy anger against injustice that we see going on in the world around us, or in our own, our own world, our own smaller world, that we move from having a healthy anger with that to just being angry in general and bitter about our own misfortunes and become very selfish about it, or worse yet, move past that into pure indifference that we don't care anymore about it. But someone might ask, well, who actually gets to set the rules of what's right and wrong. Seems to me most people in our world today are just making their own rules, setting their own standards and figuring, well, we'll just live by the standards that we have. A great example of it was that some years back, author Brian Burrell shared a story of an armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis who was arrested in Rapid City, South Dakota. Curtis apparently had some scruples about his armed robbery and his thievery. In his wallet, the police found a sheet of paper on which was written his code of ethics about stealing. Number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. I will take cash and food stamps, but no checks. How nice of him. I will rob only at night, and I will never wear a mask. 
I will not rob many marts or 7-Eleven stores. How nice of him. If I get chased by the cops on foot, I'll run away and get away. But if it's a car chase, I don't want to hurt anybody else, so I'll stop and let myself get arrested. And I love this one. I will only rob seven months out of the year. So everybody's got to break the other five months from this person's crimes. He'll really enjoy robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. That's an interesting code of ethics, but it's a sense of morality, but it's terribly flawed. When he stood before the court there in South Dakota, he wasn't judged by the standards he'd set for himself, but rather by the higher laws of the state and was put in jail. Likewise, friends, when one day each of us stand before God, we will not be judged based on our sense of, of justice or our sense of right and wrong, but rather by God's holy law, impartially. The problem with everybody making up their own rules and having their own set of standards, now we have a billion or more, pe billions of people on earth that are conflicting in their value systems, which creates a disaster. You know what I'm talking about. The world we're living in is thrown off the restraints of what God calls right and wrong, truth and error, good and evil, and making up the rules as we go along. And there's so much confusion. But the fact is the scriptures are really clear about who does get to make those rules, and that's God himself, only God. He did make us after all. This is his world. Everything in it belongs to him, and he gets to set the rules. Sometime back, David Hagler was a former referee and umpire, and he shared this story in the LA Times. He had been driving a little too fast in the snow at Boulder, Colorado on a trip there one time, and a policeman pulled him over. He says it this way, gave me a speeding ticket. I tried to talk him out of it, telling him how worried I was about my insurance rates are going to go up, what a good driver I am, and so on. But he wasn't buying it. He told me if I didn't like it, I could go to court and argue the ticket. The first game of the next baseball season, however, I'm umpiring behind home plate, and the first batter up is the same policeman. <laughs> I recognize him, and he recognizes me, and he asks me, how did that thing go with the ticket in court? I simply responded, you'd better swing at everything. <laughs> well, friends, as we consider the condition of our nation and the nations of the world right now, with so much violence, gross injustices occurring, wickedness unchecked, the poor being taken advantage of, abused in various ways, the moral fiber disintegrating at the personal, corporate, national, and global levels, as I can see never before, the poor are being marginalized and being brutally beaten down, both figuratively and literally, we could just be tempted to throw our hands up in the air and say, there's no way we can fix this. There's nothing that really is going to make a difference. It's all going down the drain. The death spiral the world seems to be in will never stop. But friends, the true message of Christmas that we're celebrating this time of year is that God himself came down from heaven to save the world from their sins and to save the world from their sinfulness and save them from themselves. Everything changed the moment the unseen God became flesh and set foot on this earth. There was no hope before he came of changing things, but now God's holy word reveals to us that with God, all things are possible. Jesus said it multiple times. And with God, nothing is impossible. You see, God has a secret plan for this, you might say. It says he desires to work in us and to work for us 
And the second part is our working for God to cooperate with what it is he's really trying to get done in this world. Isaiah said this back in verse 4. We read it a moment ago, speaking of Jesus. With righteousness he will judge the needy in favor of the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. See, God's kind of justice is about fixing and healing what is broken or bringing things into line with his moral standards, not the warped human perspectives. And friends, that justice is coming. We have God's guarantee that it's coming. Isaiah prophesies that the uneven playing fields that pervade so many cultures and so many nations will ever eventually be leveled. The Christ of Christmas is also the King of Kings who will see to it that everything unfair and unjust will be corrected and set aright. Our King came here with both the power and the authority to effectuate real change on this earth, to bring justice not to the rich, influential, and powerful, but rather to the poor, the weak, and the powerless ones, to supplant evil people and rulers whose immoral ways hurt others, restoring legitimate human rights to those who are oppressed, unable to be freed of those things, to reform even legal and political structures so that economic and the spiritual abundance, the abundant life Jesus said he wanted us to have would be changed. That's God's kind of justice. God spoke much about his desire for this kind of true justice throughout the prophets of the Old Testament, none more pointedly in one of the, what are called the minor prophets. I suspect if you read the Bible and have read through it a few times or even once, you get along to Isaiah, who's the first major prophet. Then you get to Jeremiah and you get down, wow, this is a lot of heavy stuff. Then you get to Ezekiel and Daniel. And then there's these other 12 prophets after that. They're called the minor prophets. Well, friends, their message is not minor. God put it there for a reason. And by the way, if you've never read, read the minor prophets that come after Daniel, I encourage you to do that because one day you're going to meet those guys in heaven. And they're going to say, hey, hey, Rick, did you read my book? I'm Amos. Um, uh, I don't know. Where was that again? We'll go back through the Bible. But Amos, the prophet, says in chapter 5, verse 21, I'm going to read this for us, God speaking through him directly. He says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's a pretty searing and poignant indictment, isn't it? It's also a clear course correction for the nation of Israel. We need to hear that and heed that. To stop the phony religious stuff that's not backed up by true justice being served. Get your empty worship out of my face, God is saying. First, go out and help people. Go out and address the issues of your land. Go out and help the needy and the poor. And then your worship will be sweet in my ears. Bruce Waltke put it this way. The prophets did not repudiate sacrifice but subordinated it to ethics. Israelites were to demonstrate the reality of their faith by both sacred ritual and a love for others. Another of the minor prophets is named Micah. And Micah does an amazing thing for us. You know, in the Old Testament, there's 613 laws of various kinds. But Micah manages, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, to sum it up in one sentence. One sentence. 
with three directives. Here's what Micah says. The Lord has told us what is right and what he demands. See that justice is done. Let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God. I want to encourage you to read that aloud with me right now. The Lord God has told us what is right and what he demands. See that justice is done. Let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God. And all those laws, God told him what he wanted. And then Micah sums it up here for us. Do you hear this? What does God require? Justice being done is right at the top of that list. Not just bemoan the fact of the horrible things we see or hear that vex our souls, but actually step into the fray. Get involved in working towards curing that and solving that for the oppressed, the poor, the weak, and the helpless. Micah is speaking for God and directly telling us to at least get more than agitated when we see other people's injustices, but to get involved some way and do something about it. Amos says, let justice roll like a river, and Micah tells us, see that justice gets done. Author Mark Twain said it so well when he said, it's not those parts of the Bible that I do not understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that bother me the most. There's nothing hard to understand about these verses. The hard part, indeed, is for us taking it to heart and actually putting them into practice, amending our ways to redirecting our efforts and our energies and our resources, not just taking care of our own needs, but actually getting invested in helping others who cannot help themselves. You see, it's not enough to just love kindness on a personal level. We've got to learn to act justly on a social level in a greater measure. Many are doing that in many ways, but God's calling us to do it while there's still the need. Showing kindness, however, is relatively easy, isn't it? Probably happens too often. You see a homeless person at a stoplight and holding a sign, I need money for food, and if you give them a donation, give them some money, that's kindness being shown. That person's need has been met. But justice looks more like getting involved in solving the source or cause of homelessness, getting involved at a deeper level to bring about change. King Duncan, author, once put it this way, and I love this. I'm going to quote him here. Justice is a much and larger and more complicated concept than kindness. Kindness is an individual act. I see a person in need and like a good Samaritan, I try to help. That's kindness. Justice, on the other hand, is the passion that followers of Jesus have for making certain that every person on earth has a decent opportunity for a healthy, wholesome, rewarding life. He goes on to say this, and I love this, no concept is more Christian or more American than is the demand for justice. Wherever there are people who are oppressed, whether it be political oppression, economic oppression, racial oppression, or whatever form that oppression may take, we must raise our voices. Well, friends, we only need to look in our own history to one of the greatest examples of this distinction, and that's President Abraham Lincoln. Historians tell us that in his younger days, he once observed a young slave girl being sold in an auction block like a head of cattle. She was being sold away from her family and friends, and Lincoln saw the fright and terror in his eyes. His response, this thing must go. He was referring to the institution of slavery, and he dedicated his life to the destruction of that barbaric institution. That's what doing justice looks like in real life. 
The scriptures are very clear, my friends, that God indeed longs to see all of us experience abundant life, to have fullness and, and peace and love and joy working in us and in our families and our marriages and our extended relationships. He wants to see all things restored to his will. But he is particularly focused in the scriptures on those who cannot help themselves, who cannot get rights themselves, who don't have the power or the ability to stand up for themselves. Friends, he loves all of us perfectly, and there's nothing we could ever do at any time in our lives to make him love us more than he already does. He loves you completely. But out of that abundance he gives to us, he desires us to share it and to do something to help others who aren't yet experiencing that. Jesus himself said many different times as he taught in the Gospels, first shall be last and the last shall be first. When God sets things aright, those that are downtrodden, those that are the poor, those that are the oppressed are going to be the other end of the spectrum. Those of us who are on the other side of that balance right now need to be cautious and careful to realize that during this Advent season, we need to think hard and ask ourselves, which side of that equation are we on? Are we by just innocent inaction uh, contributing to the unjust problems or are we getting involved? Are we actively working to bring change, to bring about real justice? So many try to work the system. It's happening at every level of our society. It's happening globally in every other nation probably on the earth. And that kind of thing, when people in power use their resources to take away the rights of others, to oppress the poor, this makes God angry. Jesus demonstrated that angry anger on at least two occasions in the Gospels where he went into the temple courts and found the rich, the ones that controlled the elite of that day, the elite religious leaders had sacrificial animals being sold to the poor for great gain to themselves. They had carved out a niche for themselves in, even in the place of worship to satisfy their greed. And Jesus got pretty upset about that. He acted in a way that doesn't seem like Jesus would act. He drove them out of the temple courts. Two instances are recorded. There may be others where he did that. Friends, we want to be careful not to be on that side of God's anger. C.S. Lewis put it this way, anger is the fluid that love bleeds when it gets cut. And I love what Cornel West said, justice is what love looks like in public. In our society, both the truth and justice have been warped somehow to mean nothing more than someone's self-interest construes it to be. So, friends, how can we, as Christ followers in the United States, where we live, where we work, where we're engaged, and as we reach beyond that, do justice and bring help to the poor, be part of overcoming this kind of evil by doing good? Well, I think Jesus, the same Jesus that laid his life down for us, came to the earth to save us, and then ascended back to heaven, he actually gave us a really clear, simple way to understand these things. Friends, we are saved by his grace. He did all of that for us. He's given us his Holy Spirit, empowering us now to be like him, to live out lives that are very different, not selfishly motivated, but unselfishly living. But then he says this, he reminds us in Matthew chapter 25 that those who are saved by his grace, ultimately there will be a final exam. Do you know that? Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, which some call a parable, but it doesn't say a like or an as. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then the description of the sheep, those that have followed him, obeyed him, gone his ways. He describes them in a very amazing way. He doesn't talk about religious activities or creeds. All those things are great. He doesn't talk about those things. He said this, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you came and looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. Then to the goats, you used the exact same list of qualifications that they just hadn't acted on. The sheep, he says, enter into the joy prepared for you by my Father. Friends, I'm firmly firmly convinced that every single one of us, with this list in hand, just this really short list, again, a short list of things Jesus gives to them, can do all these things, if not maybe five or six of them. These are within our grasp to help the poor, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, take care of people who bring medical help to people that can't take care of themselves, to visit people who are bound or locked up literally or emotionally and spiritually. Friends, these things are God's call to us. They're not an afterthought. They're not somebody's concept or idea. These are central to Jesus' teaching. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way so profoundly, the Christian is called upon not to be like a thermometer, conforming to the temperature of their society. But they must be like a thermostat serving to transform the temperature of their society. Friends, we have opportunity to change the things that vex us in our society. It's by overcoming evil, by doing good. Being a justice maker is really within our grasp today. None of us can solve all the problems, but all of us can solve some issues But I want to suggest something to you. I want to share the stories of three women I've had the privilege of working alongside of or knowing in my life and my ministry that have profoundly been world changers. The first is Imogene Dixon. I became aware of her back in the mid-'80s. She was a retired school teacher at 64 years old. She retired as a school teacher down in Florida, just happened to take a trip to the island nation of Haiti, the poorest and still the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere by far. And she saw orphans everywhere, sickness, children not getting medical care, nakedness, hunger, and starvation. And she was moved upon by God to decide to do something about it. She said in herself, this thing must stop. And she devoted her life to it, the rest of her life. One woman wound up being able to build 10 compounds, nutrition centers, schools, and churches that ministered to thousands and thousands of children who otherwise likely would have died of starvation, died of illnesses that were curable, and gone through life deprived. One woman with a vision decided to do that at that stage of her life. Very minimal resources. She had almost nothing. But God worked through to do that. Secondly is a little closer to home, our Lois Sutter. Some of you have had a chance to hear her at Christ Church or meet her. A woman that has similar vexation in her soul looking at the inner city issues in Chicago, right here in our backyard. It was so moved by saying this thing must stop, she founded an organization called Breakthrough Urban Ministries, which has now transformed Garfield Park area of Chicago. One woman with a vision. 
and resources God brought together is still ministering powerfully in that area. And thirdly is Dr. Cassandra Ma. Some of you have heard her speak here. She's a woman who had a passion and a brokenness when she heard and saw young women being caught up in sex trafficking. And so she founded an organization with some of her friends and colleagues called Reclaim 13, which now at this very moment is ministering to young women, taking them out of that oppression, out of that horrible torment, and giving them a chance for an abundant life. Friends, I want you to carefully consider with me here today, what are the things inside of you that when you see them, you say, this must stop. Every one of us has something like that, I suspect. That's likely the Holy Spirit prompting you. My encouragement to you is I believe the next Abraham Lincoln might be sitting right here in the sanctuary this morning. The next Imogene Dixon. The next Cassandra Ma or Laura Sutter is sitting right here. God's Holy Spirit's calling you. It may not be clear exactly how you can live that out. It may not be in the ways in which we, I've just described three of my friends have done so. But dear friends, God is calling Maybe it's the abortion issue, the violated rights of the unborn really stirs you. It could be the issue of opportunities for women, both here and especially around the world. Maybe the assault on religious liberty stirs you deeply. Or maybe the plight, like Cassandra, was moved by the gross abuse of sex trafficking of young girls. It boils your blood. Friends, I encourage you that you can make a difference. You can bring about justice. You can become a justice maker. You can be one of those who lives right down the stream of what Jesus is really doing till one day our king sits on the throne and levels it all out. My desire, friends, is that we come to that meeting with Jesus. He will be able to say of us, when I was in need, you did something about it. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was imprisoned illegally, you came and sought justice for me. We all want to hear those words out of the mouth of God. I encourage if the Holy Spirit's stirring in you even at this very moment, there are ways to take a first step. Whatever stirs you, learn more about it. Get on the internet. Start learning about what's being done. Who's doing something about it? Find an organization and we'll help you do that that's actually becoming part of a solution to a problem and learn about it and get volunteer there. Give your time, your talent, your energy to that organization. Or maybe there's nobody doing anything about something that stirs you and you're that first person. But friends, by all means, our time is now. Our opportunity is before us. Let's heed his call. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your truth that sets us free. And Jesus, when we were all poor, blind, naked, separated from God. You left the comforts of heaven. You stepped out of equality with God and you came down to this earth for us. You were the absolute example that we all aspire to follow. God, I pray that you speak to our hearts personally and corporately that we will be more aligned with your will than ever before, that truly your beautiful kingdom work I proliferate in our midst, and your name might be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen.